John chapter 4, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her watering pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man, man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? When they went out of the city and came to him, then they, then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four, hour, four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. 
And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, the fourth chapter of John's Gospel continues the theme that we have noted previously, namely that Jesus is the fulfillment of Judaism and therefore superior to all that has gone on before. We've seen, for example, contrast between Jesus and uh, Moses in at least two places where uh, Moses turns water into blood as a sign of God's curse. Jesus changes water into wine, wine which is also a symbol of blood, but a blood that is not a curse, but a blessing, blood that washes away sin and makes obsolete the water of purification of the Old Testament. Uh, uh, Grace and truth come through uh, Moses, but, uh, excuse me, the law comes through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. And uh, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and uh, healed people who looked to the serpent, the symbol of death, were healed of a snake bite. But when Jesus is lifted up, people will be healed for eternity. John the Baptist baptizes with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So again and again, Jesus is superior, fulfills, and is superior to that which comes before. And that theme is continued here with regard to Jacob and Jacob's well. Jacob gave water to his family and left a well for the Israelites, but That water, though good water in itself, nevertheless, they had to come back to that well again and again. It uh, could not satisfy once for all. But from Jesus comes living water that if a person drinks, they will never thirst again. And so Jesus is greater than Jacob. However, there is something else going on in chapter 4 besides just uh, Jesus as greater than uh, those who have come before. We see Jesus talking to a woman at a well. Now that is a familiar uh, scene in a number of places in the Old Testament. Uh, Abraham's servant talked to a woman at a well. Jacob talked to a woman at a well. Moses talked to a woman at a well. Now in all those uh, instances, a wife was obtained The servant of of Abraham obtained a wife for Abraham's son, and Jacob and Moses obtained a wife for themselves. Now, some might conclude then that uh, here Jesus is speaking to this woman because he's looking for a wife. Well, not exactly, uh, but John the Baptist in the previous text had said that Jesus is the bridegroom. 
and uh, John the Baptist is the best man, and the best man delights to see the bridegroom united with his bride. What we see here is that uh, the bride of Christ is not only Israel, but, but Jesus goes outside the covenant community to get his bride, to get uh, the people who are his bride. Uh, he is not married to one person, but to a people who be- belong to him, uh, who look to him as their, their, their groom. And uh, also from among the Samaritans, he will build his church. He goes outside the covenant community. Uh, To use a different metaphor, the fields that are white unto harvest include not only Israel, but also Samaria, uh, where Jesus receives greater honor than he did in Judea or what he will receive in Galilee. Uh, In Judea and in Galilee, they marvel at him because he is a great teacher. He speaks with authority. He does miracles. But here, in a very short time, A number of people believe that he is the Christ and that he is the Savior of the world. Few, if any, Jews were thinking of him in those terms so early in Jesus' ministry. Now, there are a number of things that we can look at here. I want to consider with you the fact that Jesus does go to Samaria and that he offers living water and that he teaches us about worship. But uh, the matter of worship, I will uh, 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 postpone until next week. The little blurb in the bulletin about next Sunday morning's text, uh, postpone that two weeks, and next week we'll look at, uh, uh, I think it was verses 19 to 24 of this chapter, about what Jesus has to say about uh, worship. But first of all, we want to consider that Jesus goes to Samaria. In this section, we begin to see Jesus reach out beyond the, the, the confines of the covenant. You know, in the, in the first chapter it says uh, of John's gospel, it says he came to his own, and his own received him not. But that, uh, that doesn't describe his going to Samaria. Samaria are not his own. They are not the Jewish people. He goes outside the covenant to these Samaritans who are descended from foreigners whom the king of Israel had brought in after he conquered the northern ten tribes. The northern ten tribes were conquered by the king of Assyria around 722 B.C. And uh, the king of Assyria deported the Israelites out of Israelite territory, out of the northern ten tribes. He resettled them elsewhere in his empire and took people from elsewhere in the empire and settled them in Israel. This uh, forced migration of peoples was a tactic used by ancient kings to try to keep control over the peoples that they conquered, keep them unsettled, keep them uh, in, uh, move them around to new territory where they didn't have the kind of connections and history to be able to rebel as easily as they could if they stayed in their own territory. And so this forced migration went on and non Uh, Jewish people, uh, non-descendants of Abraham, were settled in Israelite territory uh, beginning in 722 B.C. Now, because they were in the land that belonged to God, that God had designated for his people, and they weren't honoring God, we read that God sent lions among them to plague them. And they figured that out, that this was a plague from God. And so the king of Assyria found some Levites 
sent them back to Israel to teach the people of the land of Israel, who were living there now, to teach them about the God of Israel and how he ought to be worshipped. And these uh, people, who are known now as Samaritans, they uh, began to worship the God of Israel. But they did not worship him exclusively. They simply added him to the list of gods that they previously had worshipped. They uh, considered him one among many gods. Over time, they began to accept the five books of Moses as authoritative for their religion. Uh, But they uh, rejected uh, the rest of the Old Testament. Since uh, Abraham had built his first altar... Uh, at Shechem on Mount Gerizim, where this uh, meeting between Jesus and the woman is taking place. Um, And because Moses had indicated that Mount Gerizim was a special place, you know, when the Israelites came into the land, half of them went on Mount Gerizim, half on Mount Ebal, and then they recited the curses and the blessings. Well, this is the place where Jesus is uh, meeting on this mountain, uh, uh, Mount Gerizim. That's where they built their temple The Samaritans built a temple where they could offer the sacrifices that Moses had prescribed for the God of the Jews. In Jesus' day, that temple had been destroyed, but uh, there was still an altar there, and they still worshipped there. And uh, these uh, people were uh, didn't get along well with the Jews. You know, when uh, God brought back uh, the Israelites from Babylonian captivity uh, under Ezra and Nehemiah, You may recall that the Samaritans opposed the rebuilding of the temple. They tried to stop the rebuilding of the temple. They tried to stop the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem. And uh, so there was great animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews that continued even to Jesus' day. They hated one another and they avoided one another. But Jesus, Jesus goes there anyway. There was a way to get from southern Judah to northern Galilee by not going through Samaritan territory, but it was the long way around. You had to go east and cross the Jordan River, then go north along the north, uh, the, the east bank of the Jordan until you got north of Samaritan territory, then cross back over the Jordan River uh, to enter into Galilee. That took about a week to do that, where you could walk from Jerusalem to Capernaum uh, in three days if you went the more direct route through Samaria. Some really uh, rigid and conscientious Jews would take the long route, but most Jews, uh, being more pragmatic, would take the shorter route, although they usually uh, avoided all contact with the Samaritans. They would carry their own food so they wouldn't have to uh, buy food from the Samaritans. Uh, they would consider such food contaminated or unclean and uh, kept their contact minimal. But now we read Jesus had to go through Samaria. And that uh, had to go means that's uh, there was an option. He could go a different way, but... There was a a moral necessity, not a geographic necessity. Geographically, there was an option. But uh, as far as his mission was concerned, it was necessary for him to go there. He wanted to go to Samaria. And when he got to Samaria and to the city of Sychar, he sent his disciples into town to, to buy food. And he didn't hesitate to speak to the first Samaritan with whom he had contact, this a woman at the well. Now, this is his 
second extended conversation with someone who is not a disciple. And uh, there couldn't be a greater contrast between uh, the two conversations. One was with Nicodemus and the other uh, with this woman. Nicodemus was a man of uh, prestige, a man of wealth, a man of power, a, a respected leader among the Jews. He was theologically trained. He was uh, orthodox in his theology. He was conservative in his theology, not like uh, uh, the more liberal Sadducees. Uh, He was a scholar and a teacher. But this woman was uh, unschooled, with no power, no political influence. She had only a rudimentary and corrupt knowledge of uh, religious things. She came alone to the well at uh, noon, at the heat of the day. Most of the women would come early in the morning or late in the afternoon, but She's not a welcome companion of the other women, so she comes by herself and uh, is just the very opposite. Uh, Nicodemus was a man, a Jewish ruler. She was a a woman and a Samaritan who was uh, oppressed and, and morally compromised. She was probably not the widow of five husbands but uh, more likely had been divorced by five men who uh, used her and then discarded her. They thought they could get a certificate of divorce for any and every reason. She had been uh, reduced to seeking protection from a man who would now not even commit to marrying her. Uh, Although she is not morally innocent, she's also one who has been uh, abused and oppressed by uh, cruel men who have uh, taken advantage of her. The point of the comparison is that uh, both the high and the mighty and the lowly uh, need Jesus, and Jesus comes to both. Now, not only does uh, Jesus come to Samaria, but we see in the latter part of the passage that I read to you that he makes converts there, and not a few. He makes many converts, and uh, these uh, converts uh, believed in him that he was the Savior of the world. Uh, Jesus refers to Samaria as a field white for harvest. And just before his ascension, he reminded his disciples that they needed to be his witnesses, not only in Judea and not only in the Gentile world, but in Samaria also, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Yet Jesus uh, finds his bride among the Samaritans. They are part of the harvest. He wants his disciples to gather in. And there's a lesson in this for you and me. We must never write off anyone as a potential convert to Christianity. We must deal wisely uh, with even the, the determined enemies of the church and the corruptors of true religion. We never know where Christ is going to find his people. He finds them in very unlikely places. It also means that if you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must not you consider yourself too far gone, too distant, or too different that Jesus uh, does not want you or that he cannot save you. He reaches out to all, to the near and to those who are far away, to the high and mighty, to the lowly, to the oppressed. He is indeed the Savior of the world, and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now we want to focus our attention Uh, Secondly, today, on the fact that Jesus uh, gives living water to this uh, woman or offers her living water. It's about the sixth hour of the day, and that means it's noon. 
That's uh, uh, the hottest part of the day or the beginning of the hottest part of the day. Jesus is weary from traveling. He probably is uh, hot and thirsty. It's quite naturally to stop at a well, but he has nothing with which to draw water, and the well is deep. He can't just reach down into it and take a fist, a handful of water. Uh, you need uh, something to uh, lower down into the well, and he doesn't have that to do. And so he's dependent upon someone else to provide him with a drink, and he waits there until someone comes. And when that one person comes, a Samaritan woman, he doesn't hesitate to speak to her. Uh, he doesn't look at her the way the Jews looked at her. He sees her as part of the harvest that uh, he has come to gather for his Father's glory. But although he doesn't hesitate to talk to her, she does hesitate in giving him help. She's surprised that he, a man and a Jew, would talk to her, a woman and a Samaritan. And so Jesus begins to explain <laughs> To her that he has something more in mind than just using her to get a drink of water. He foregoes his desire for a drink and explains in a cryptic way that why he's speaking to her. He is not what he appears, just a weary, thirsty traveler. He is one who can give her living water. Now, what is living water? Well, it's a term that literally refers to water that moves. Uh, it's a phrase that uh, is used to describe uh, springs of water, where uh, water bubbles up out of the ground in a natural spring. It's fresh, it's clean, it's uh, not uh, stagnant water from a cistern that might be polluted with harmful bacteria. You know, uh, cisterns are containers for water. There are all kinds of cisterns. Some uh, early settlers used to dig holes in the ground and line them with rock and then uh, fill the cistern with rainwater. Uh, it wasn't bubbling up out of the ground. It was water that was added to this hole. Now we have cisterns that are great big uh, plastic uh, containers uh, the size of a back of a pickup truck. Or city water towers can be called cisterns. And uh, the water there is stagnant and uh, can be easily polluted. My grandfather was born in 1881. He built a house in Garfield, New Jersey in 1904 that had uh, indoor plumbing and running water from a city uh, water tower high up on a hill. Gravity uh, fed the water into the homes uh, around that hill. And he noticed that his water wasn't very clean, and so he took it upon himself to climb the ladder on top of that uh, uh, on the side of the water tank, and he looked down into the water tank and saw uh, quite a few dead pigeons floating in the water. He convinced the uh, city fathers to put a roof over the cistern, over the water tank, and to enclose it so that there would be no more pigeons uh, floating in the water. Well, that's the problem with cisterns. Uh, they can become polluted. But living water, that's, that's fresh, it's clean, it bubbles up out of the ground. And uh, in an arid climate, in a dry climate like uh, uh, the land of Israel, uh, living water easily becomes a metaphor for the blessing of God because it's, it's a, such a vital, necessary ingredient for life. We need water to live 
And in a dry climate, you need clean, fresh water to ensure that your, your life will be preserved. And, and so the prophets would often speak of living water as symbolic or a metaphor for the blessing of God. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, by forsaking God, they have forsaken the fresh running supply of God's goodness and faithfulness. And instead, they they look for blessing from gods of their own making that uh, are unable to help them. In Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah 17, verse 13, it says, They have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Uh, God is uh, a fountain of living water. He is the source of life. He is the source of blessing. He's the one who enriches our lives with fresh, clean uh, blessings from above. Uh, Zechariah, who uh, prophesied of a new temple, saw a stream of living water flowing out from Jerusalem, and that stream of living water flowing out from Jerusalem brought life and uh, fruitfulness wherever it went along the banks of that uh, uh, living water stream. And so uh, uh, living water is a, a metaphor for life. Now in, in John's gospel, living water is mentioned uh, uh, in a couple of ways. For example, in John 6, Jesus said, I, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will not, shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Christ assuages our thirst, our spiritual thirst. In John 7, verses 38 and 39, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers, rivers of living water. Now, he, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. In other words, Jesus is comparing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who gives us life, uh, gives us eternal life to living water. Out of the heart of the, the one who believes in him will come this living water which will spring up unto eternal life. And so in John chapter 4, we should understand water as, as eternal life given by the Spirit to all who believe in Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about uh, to this woman. First, the Spirit uh, opens our hearts to enable us to believe, and then the Spirit enters our hearts to bring us all the benefits of Christ's death and uh, resurrection. He renews our strength, and He will redeem our bodies from the grave. Through the presence and power of the Spirit, we receive from Jesus everything we need for life and for godliness, and uh, now, both now and for eternity. That's the water uh, that is for all of you who believe in Jesus. But the Samaritan woman does not understand the spiritual meaning of living water. She thinks uh, Jesus is just promising uh, fresh uh, water that uh, would enable her to drink in such a way that she doesn't have to come back to this well anymore. And so Jesus begins to uh, work with her to help her to understand. Because uh, faith is based on knowledge. And this woman doesn't understand. She doesn't know who Jesus is. She can't properly put her faith in Jesus if she merely thinks that he's a weary traveler promising her running water in her house so that she doesn't have to come to the well again. She needs to be brought to greater knowledge so that her faith is not superstition or faith in an idol 
named Jesus. Unfortunately, that is the case in much of uh, uh, the world today, that people have an entirely wrong idea of who Jesus is. They sing Jesus' praises, but the Jesus that they praise is not the Jesus of Scripture. It's an idol of their own making. Jesus proceeds on a path to reveal himself more fully to her, to enable her to see that he is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, and the Savior of the world. And to do that, he tells her to go call her husband and return. He tells her to do this to to help her understand that he's not talking about physical thirst, but spiritual thirst. What he's doing here is that he's showing her that she has spiritual thirst. Her life has been thirsting for something, something other than just physical water. She's been looking for meaning. She's been looking for happiness, and she's been looking for it in relationships, in relationships that that haven't worked for her. She's been drinking from a broken cistern, six broken cisterns, none of which have given her what she really wants in life. She's put her faith in men, but those men have used her and abused her and cast her off. Her faith has been misdirected. She needs to put her faith in Jesus. There she will discover real life, real meaning, true life, eternal life, a life of ever-increasing joy, even in the midst of life's sorrows. Now what this woman has done in searching for meaning and fulfillment and thirsting for something to give her life purpose and and fulfillment and and looking in the wrong places, looking in broken cisterns. This is something which which many people are doing, perhaps some of you are doing as well, looking for fulfillment in, in money, in getting as much money as you can, thinking that if I have money, I can, I can uh, have power and, and then I can be in control of things. That will give my life meaning and purpose. Or uh, you're in the, in the pursuit of land. You think I need more land, more acres. And, and the more land I have, the more significant my life is, the more meaningful my life is, the greater uh, my life has uh, purpose and, and glory and honor. You're looking for the esteem of men. Some uh, people uh, have to uh, buy a plot of land and, and put up uh, one of these McMansions, these uh, glorious homes, so that everybody driving by will say, That person has arrived. That person has made it in life. They have this uh, glorious uh, mansion that they they live in. That's what gives their life meaning and purpose. Uh, People want the esteem of their peers. Uh, Young men think they need to have uh, washboard abs. And uh, young ladies think they need to have an hourglass figure. And if they can find these things and obtain these things, this will make their life happy. This will make their life beautiful. This will make their life complete and, and perfect. But all of these things are things that don't last and don't satisfy. Uh, they are the things of this world that are perishing. They are broken cisterns. They are false idols. They are idols uh, that uh, cannot help and cannot save. Uh, This woman was looking in the wrong place, and she needs to find that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who can save us and give our life meaning and purpose and fulfillment. Jesus finally got her to the point where she started thinking about the Messiah and the Christ. And he said to her, and he says to you, I am he. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I'm the one you should look to and believe in and trust in 
I'm the only one worthy of your faith. I alone can give you life. Now take note that this uh, offer of living water, which is the gift of eternal life through the work of the Spirit to all who believe, this offer of living water is given in the context where Jesus is thirsty. It's hot. He's been walking for hours. It's the heat of the day. And Jesus is thirsty. And it's not the last time that Jesus will be thirsty. Again, from the cross, he said, I thirst. I thirst. Jesus was thirsty on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was experiencing God's justice. And God's justice often comes down as fire and scorching heat, heat that dries up the bones. The curse of God in Leviticus 26 is to send heat that dries up the land so that there is a great drought. God turns the heavens, makes the heavens like iron and the earth like bronze. They're hard and dry because there's, there's no rain, there's only heat. Uh, in Isaiah 33, verse 14, it says, Who among us can, d- can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can, t- can dwell with everlasting burnings? Uh, that everlasting fire is God. Our God is an, a consuming fire, says the book of Hebrews. That comes from Isaiah 33. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire, with God who is a consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? Uh, psalm 22, which is a psalm that prophesies concerning the sufferings of Christ. You remember Psalm 22 begins with the words that Christ uttered on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the beginning of Psalm 22. So Psalm 22 is about the the sufferings of Christ. And in, in verse 14 and 15, it says, I am poured out like water. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to the roof of the mouth. You have brought me to the dust of death. On the cross, God was pouring out his, his anger as heat and as, as a burning fire, and it was dehydrating Jesus, and he was thirsty. He was thirsting with the ultimate thirst, thirsting for God, but he was denied God. He thirsts for fellowship with the living God. He is made complete in his union with the Father and with the Spirit, but now the Father has forsaken him, and he's, he's all dried up, and he's thirsty. Hell is being forever thirsty for God and unable to satisfy that thirst. God withdraws himself. God, who is the source of living water, takes that living water away in his wrath so that we are all dried up. Christ is able to come to you and say, I am the living water. I am the living water you need because... He endured the thirst, that ultimate thirst of the wrath of God on the cross because He endured it in your place for you, on your behalf, so that you would never have to. He is now able to come to you and say, I am that living water. 
the living water that, if you believe in me, will well up inside you for eternal life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will find in him a source of life and strength and health that will last forever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus was thirsty. And we thank you that he endured the worst possible thirst, the denial of that water that comes from you, and and endured your anger, your dehydrating anger that, that brought him down to the dust of death so that we would never have to experience that, but might instead receive from you living water unto eternal life. O Father, work faith in our hearts and strengthen that faith day by day that we may rejoice and be glad. Show us how the the idols of our lives uh, will never satisfy, how they are false cisterns that can never give us what we need uh, and help us to turn away from the things of this world that are perishing and put our faith in Christ alone. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.